today on It's Time. God likes us to be able to reason. In other words, you don't have to put your brain in neutral when you come into the church. I hear the calling, it's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the New Testament book of Acts. So, follow along as we join Pastor Mike. The Holy Spirit working in the early church, friends. Apart from the Holy Spirit working in the church, it would be dead. But we know God wants to do things in people's lives then, just like now. And so that's why we look at this to see what God would say to us. Now, looking at this, we've been talking about how the Holy Spirit, when it inspires His Word, uh, the Word, you might say, expands and becomes alive. And so as we uh, look at these words, you're going to see how that continues to happen. Last week, we remember Paul the Apostle had been thrown in jail because he had prayed for a woman who had demon-possessed, and that girl was delivered from the demon. Her owners, who owned this woman who could tell fortunes by because of this demon, dragged him into court, and we remember that Paul was thrown into jail unlawfully. He was a Roman citizen. He wasn't given a trial. And we remember that... um, uh, there was a great earthquake. People gotten saved at that time and, and all these different things that happened. And finally, Paul left uh, prison. And now we find that he's on his way again. Now, some people would say, well, I got, I got in trouble there. I, I'm never going to go back and do anything like that for God again. Just the opposite happened. As a matter of fact, as we look at chapter 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollyana, now, these are two towns. Uh, he traveled about 30 miles to the first one, 30 miles to the second one, and then about 37 miles after he traveled, he came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of Jews. Now, again, to look at this without seeing how fast we can read it, but really to kind of digest what we are reading. Why did he stop at Thessalonica, but he didn't stop at the other two cities? Well, it tells us. The first thing we find here, it says, where there was a synagogue of Jews. Evidently, there was no synagogue in these other uh, cities in the Roman Empire, and so he just passed by those. He didn't go there. One of the reasons we know is because the Bible says to the Jew first and then the Gentile. And so uh, Paul goes then to the synagogue, and this is where uh, he was to share with these people. Now, it says that... um, he came to Thessalonica. Uh, there was a very strong church there. We have First and Second Thessalonians that uh, Paul was not done speaking to them, so he had more to write to them. And of course, this is why we have those two books as well. Well, then Paul, as his custom was, okay, as his custom was, what was his custom? Went in to them for three Sabbaths and reasoned with them from the Scripture. Then Paul, as his custom was, First thing he did is he goes to the synagogue. He finds the synagogue, and then he begins to minister there. 
And it says, as his custom was. You know, a lot of people need to have some things in their life, you might say disciplined. Um, Paul's heart always was to seek out the believers, those potential believers. And so this is why he went there. A lot of people, they don't go to church. They don't go to church on Sunday. They never go to church. Well, I think it's a great habit to instill not only in your life, but in the lives of your children as well, and those friends around you, that you make that part of your custom to be with the saints. You're going to have something that you can contribute to them. They're going to have something that they will contribute to you. This is how the family of God works. And so as his custom was, he went to them. Okay, another important part of ministry. He went to them. A lot of times people say, well, if somebody wants me to tell them about God, they'll call me on the phone. (laughs) Well, here we find he went to them. As a matter of fact, he traveled over a hundred miles to go to them. So uh, in other words, preaching the gospel sometimes, generally speaking, requires an inconvenience upon our behalf. In other words, we sacrifice for the kingdom of God so that they could hear the message of salvation. Now notice it was, it says he went to them. So we find again, him directly seeking them out. What else do we find? For three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scripture. For three Sabbaths. Why three? Because evidently one didn't do it. (laughs) So he went back the second time. That didn't do it. So he went back the third time. Now again, this tells me a lot about sometimes the tenacity of sometimes the believers, at least we, we should be, we don't give up. Um, and just because somebody doesn't listen to the gospel the first time you present it doesn't mean you say, well, you know, lost and sorry, see you later. You just continue to go back as much as you can. So it tells us here that he went back not only the second time, but he also went the third time. I actually underlined the word three in my Bible because of that reason, because it reminds me that sometimes when I would maybe necessarily give up on somebody, God doesn't, and certainly we find Paul being inspired here to go back a third time. Notice what he did when he was there. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. Um, that's good. He, he um, didn't tell them stories. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. Now, who were these that he was reasoning with? There were people in the synagogue. People in the synagogue would have some kind of an understanding of the promises of Messiah that was to come, especially when you read the book of Isaiah, we look at the book of Genesis, all these books, you would see that there was something that God was leading to in the Old Testament. And so by Paul going to the synagogue, he already had the pump primed, you might say, in that they were seeking after God in some capacity. And so now he's able to communicate the gospel to them in a a very personal, dynamic way. And so it says that he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Now, that's important because that is the, you might say, source of truth, the scripture, not something else, somebody else said, attacking cults or whatever. That's why I don't spend a lot. I'll mention things that cults believe sometimes when we come across it in scripture where obviously something that's being taught in our area or some popular idea that's being circulated amongst uh, the, uh, the, our society or church uh, is a hot topic, I'll address it. But I don't like to spend a lot of time doing those things because if you know the scripture, you'll be able to make your own defense. So he reasoned with them from the scripture. Now, reasoning from the Bible is very important. It isn't mindless faith. Now, friends, that's really important 
Because many religions demand mindless submission. You say, what's that? We say it, you accept it, that's it. So you're really, you might say, condemned if you begin to ask questions within your religion. Well, why is this the way that it is? And they don't like to ask questions. With Scripture, though, we have nothing to fear because we live in truth. And so we know what the Word of God's going to say. So Scripture gives us that basis, and reasoning is the logical deductions from study. It's interesting, in Isaiah chapter 1, it says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. Uh, we find it, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. It tells us that God likes us to be able to reason. In other words, you don't have to put your brain in neutral when you come into the church. (laughs) Well, I believe it because that's what he said. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it. Not because of what I tell you. It's because you know from studying the scripture, reasoning, so you understand how these you might say logical conclusions happen. So he says that he reasoned with them from the scriptures. And how did he do that? Now that's another important part. How do you do that? Well, glad you asked. Verse 3. Explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So, um, what do we find here? He used the word of God to convince people who had an understanding of Yahweh and maybe some of the promises that Messiah was to come. How did he convince them and what did he do? Notice again, it says explaining and demonstrating. Well, explaining is one thing, friends. You know, you can explain something from the scripture. How do you demonstrate something from the scripture? And then Jesus came down. (laughs) Some kind of an arm motion thing? I don't think so. I think the demonstrating was in his candor, or you might say in his behavior, or you might say in his attitude. There's a real important thing that we must always get when we reach out to people. And that's what we must never come to them as we are super spiritual or arrogant in some way. Well, I've got my salvation too bad about you kind of attitude. Well, that's not Christ. That doesn't portray, you might say, the warmth and the love that God wants to uh, reach out to them. And as a matter of fact, friends, if you really study the scriptures, if you really look, Jesus had tremendous compassion upon the lost. He had uh, a little animosity towards the religious leaders of the day who were stiff-necked, the Bible tells us. But we understand that he was reaching out to them Demonstrating. Well, how, how would he demonstrate this? Again, by his attitude in the way that he communicated. Now, what would then he have communicated? Well, it says explaining. Okay, what would he explain out of the Bible? Well, first, if you like to take notes, prophecy. The Old Testament is filled with verses that predict Jesus the Messiah would come and what he would do when he did come. Isaiah chapter 53, for instance. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And upon him, the Lord laid all of our sins, basically is what it says. So we understand that through the entirety of Scripture, whether you look at Psalms 22, or whether you look at the type of Joseph as an example, 
in the scriptures that was sold into slavery so he could be the redeemer for his nation, you might say. We find all the way through these prophecies that spoke of Jesus. The second thing we find in the explaining to these, you might say, people there at the synagogue, he was from the tribe of Judah. That would very important. Because the Bible says he would be from the root of the lion of the tribe of Judah. The third thing we find, he was born in Bethlehem. Another prophecy particular to the Messiah who would come. The next thing we find, he's from the line of David. So he wasn't just born in Bethlehem, but he was from the lineage of David. And that's very important because, again, he was the lion of the tribe of Judah. He came at the predicted time. Now, again, when Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah the command to go and restore the city of Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah, the prince, would be 69 seven-year periods of time based on a 360-day Babylonian calendar, okay? Well, anyway, long story short, Jesus made his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem on that Sunday as he descended from the Mount of Olives as he came into the city of Jerusalem. Incredible prophecy. That's why the kings of the East that we always celebrate at Christmas time. As they came bringing their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, how did they even know to be looking for a star? How did they even know that there was going to be some kind of a king born? It's funny that the Gentiles, the kings of the East, were more in tune, you might say, than the nation of Israel was on the arrival of their Messiah. And so they came to Herod and they said, where is this king that was born that we may worship him? And so Herod, hearing this, was extremely troubled. Well, understanding that the predicted time was exactly right on. Another thing, his work. What did Jesus do when he came? Was he out trying to establish himself as king and get in the back rooms with a bunch of guys? Okay, let's go cause a riot in the street. No, he was about his father's business. And this is what he tells us. So he was healing and preaching the kingdom of God and demonstrating it with, and here's the next one, irrefutable miracles. So miracles were that to establish what he said was true. This is, again, we talked about this, when the man they let down, they tore the roof off the place to get this guy to Jesus because he needed to be healed. They tore the roof off. They let this guy, you see Jesus teaching, and everybody's sitting there, oh, yes, right, right, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, all lights start shining out, and here comes a guy down on a stretch, and he's just kind of floating in space there. The Bible says Jesus seeing their faith. I guess so. And... Um, He said, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or rise, take up your bed and walk? Well, it's always easier to say your sins are forgiven because who really knows for sure if they really are forgiven or not? So you could easily say that. This is something the Pharisees could say after they did their their sacrifice by slaughtering the animal and transferring the sin on you as he'd lay his hand on the animal that was to be slain and on you and the animal that was to be killed. He could say your sins are forgiven. But did you really know if they were? Well, yeah, did you take his word for it? But Jesus said, which is easier? Rise, take up your bed or walk, or your sins are forgiven. He said, so you know that I'm telling you the truth. He looks at the guy and says, rise, take up your bed and walk. The guy gets up and he walks. Proved It proved beyond any shadow of a doubt that what Jesus said was true. 
So, miracles, very much a sign. The next thing we, we find as well, the resurrection. And this is one of the things that he mentions here, and let's look at this again. He said that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So this is why, again, friends, we see uh, recorded for us here, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, demonstrating and explaining who Jesus was. Again, not coming to them in a prideful, arrogant heart, but coming to them in humility and explaining to them, hey, this is what's going on. So, what was the result? And some of them were persuaded, a great multitude of devout Greeks, and not a few of leading women joined Paul and Silas. So, it tells us here there was probably more, you might say, Greek believing brethren there that were assembled to the synagogue than maybe even the Jews that believed in Paul, uh, his message. And so it says that they joined Paul and Silas. But verse 5, this is, this is kind of always goes with it, doesn't it? Anybody here that's ever made a stand for Christ, this is just the way it works, okay? But the Jews, who were not persuaded, became envious they wanted what he had, but they didn't want to submit themselves to the power where Paul got his power from. See, they could have had the same thing that Paul did had they just surrendered their life to God, but it's easier to attack the messenger and to take what he has rather than to submit your life to God. Let him empower you, and then you'll have whatever God gives you. So what does it say? Those that were not persuaded became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace. <laughs> evil men from the marketplace. Now, friends, this is the very application of this is kind of interesting to me. Evil men from the marketplace. Okay, so you, you picture something kind of like a swap meet, okay, in those days. You know, it'd be a guy over here selling raiment and somebody over here selling oranges and somebody over here selling cantaloupes or whatever. And you go down there and, and then there was kind of the kind of the hangout place, kind of like going down to the mall. You know, all the little chairs that they have out in the mall there for the mollies that walk around a lot. And they finally get tired and said, well, just imagine that all being full with people. And because they were kind of evil in the marketplace, that would pretty much indicate they really weren't there for business or to buy something. They were there to hang out. And the reason they hung out is probably they didn't have jobs. And so because they were hanging out, they didn't have jobs. And usually people that don't have jobs are looking for things that people who do have jobs have to take. Well, they gathered them up. And gathering a mob, set the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring, out, bring them out to the people. Where are they staying? Where's Paul and his companions staying? They're staying at the house of Jason. Well, let's go down there. So they assemble a mob of basser fellows, of a, uh, lewd fellows of a basser sort, you might say, from the marketplace. They gather them up, and they go, let's go down to Jason. Well, that's going to drag them out. Now, here's a couple of things right here, first of all, you're going to find. First thing is, Paul did a good thing. Second of all, the attack of Paul came, let's, let's look at this closely because as we've been following a trend here over the last few weeks, uh, you, you find that the attack did not come from the Roman government, did it? 
Where'd it come from? It was spawned by people who claimed to know God. Friends, I think that is extremely interesting and extremely significant. What drove the people who claimed to know God in an uproar against Paul and his companions? Well, it tells us it was jealousy. It says they were envious. They wanted what he had, but again, they wouldn't submit themselves to the power of God to give. God God doesn't have favorites. God would give them the power just like he gave Paul and his companions. But the problem is, see, that requires humility and that requires repentance. And they didn't want that. So it's just easier to take what somebody else has. See, they don't realize And this is the problem that I find, especially with oftentimes religious people, whether they want to call themselves people who follow the Old Testament or even modern day Christians that are kind of tweaked in the head. They see the anointing of God, but they don't understand what it is because they walk in the flesh and they walk in darkness. They don't realize, see, if you see somebody that God is using in a great way, what you're seeing there is you're seeing God. You're not seeing the individual because I guarantee you we're all bozos on this bus. That's the bottom line. There is no favorites. God, God treats us all the same. He treats us as his children. Any parent here knows if you're really a good mom or a good dad, you shouldn't favor one child over another child. You would do the same for one as you would for another if they love you and if they walk and, and they obey you. So then understanding that, what people then unfortunately don't see is they don't see God behind the individual. They just see the individual and they focus their attack on that person rather than understanding this is something that God would do for them. And by the way, it doesn't matter how big a person is or how small a person is. I suppose as we look at this here, we see that these some of these were Jews from the synagogue. Some of them could have been very high up. They could have been very pious, very much respected by the religious community. Who would ever think or dream that they could try to be doing such evil things? Well, certainly they do, and they can, and they still do. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, you read how the apostles died. Some skinned alive. Peter crucified upside down. That's not in the scripture, but in Fox's Book of Martyrs, through uh, historical records, they tell us how most of these apostles die in the early church fathers. But you know what's really funny in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, if anybody's ever read it? You don't read how the Pharisees died. Do you know why? They didn't. They're still here. Remember that. It says, they sought to bring him out. A mob. Now remember, now let's look at this up close. Again, let's not see how fast we can go. Let's see what it's saying. Did they... If you ever if you ever watch those detective shows on TV, you know, or Who Done It kind of thing was the Butler, you know, but Who Done It kind of thing, and and so they go back through, and they look for evidence, whether it's a piece of hair or a flake of paint that fell off the criminal's pants when he did the crime or whatever, and they go back through and they look for clues and they look for all this stuff. Well, I, I believe that when we really seek the scripture you're going to find the word of God again explode because uh, what I mean by that, it expands because we begin to see it in a new light and different things. Notice it says here that there was this gathering, this mob. Now, do you see in the mob any legal authority here? It's not there, is it? 
It's just a mob driven by jealous people in the, from the synagogue. Pretty scary, huh? Now notice what they do. And it says that they went to the house of Jason, sought to bring them out. Verse 6. But when they did not find them, probably they were out eating at Denny's or something. I mean, I don't know what they were doing, but they were doing something. When they couldn't get Paul and his companions, what did they do? Now, friends, this is important because this can, may, and probably will happen to you as well. If they can't get to Jesus, or they can't get to the pastor, they'll get to you. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time.